John chapter 21, Lord willing, no natural disaster occurs here in this vicinity, we're going to finish the book of John today. Yes, we're going to finish the book of John, and uh, uh, it's just kind of odd, actually. You know, I was looking at the distance, like, wow, we're finishing John. Um, it's a good thing. It's, 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 it's progress. It's to know that we've moved through a complete gospel verse by verse and covered it. And then, uh, not next week, but the week after, we'll be starting the book of Acts. So um, it should just be a natural uh, progression right on into the book of Acts. Now, next Sunday, this isn't in the bulletin, but um, Matt Tarka, who heads up uh, Flood the Nations, uh, the Mission Water Project that we've talked about, Matt will be here and is going to share about that ministry next Sunday. So that's the water filters that we supply to third world countries by supporting that ministry. So I'm real excited to have Matt come. It's, it's just a really, really practical ministry. So I think you'll enjoy uh, hearing from him. So John chapter 21, starting at verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Uh, some of you know that many, many years ago in a state far away, <laughs> Chris and I uh, were involved in youth ministry back in North Carolina. And it was a Presbyterian church, and one of the things that they liked for us to do was once a year have what's called Youth Sunday. And that's where the youth would do the whole service, the teaching and, and everything. And for a youth pastor, it's exciting and, and very nerve-wracking all at the same time, uh, not knowing, especially some of the boys, you know, that are high school boys, and you really you don't have any idea really what they're going to do, say, you know, how they're going to conduct themselves. But on this particular Sunday, we had a young guy that was a freshman in college, and I thought, you know, I'm going to ask him to do the teaching just cause. I trusted him more than any of the other guys. And so um, this particular Sunday, uh, we were in the uh, resort community up in uh, Highlands, North Carolina was the name of the community. And so there were a lot of people, wealthy people up there with summer homes. And this particular Sunday, one couple came and they brought a friend of theirs with them. And this friend was Chuck Colson. Now, some of you may remember Chuck Colson uh, for lots of reasons, but hopefully we remember the latter part of his life rather than, than the first part, uh, uh, his whole uh, relationship with Richard Nixon and all the things that took place there, and Chuck ended up going to, to prison. But on this Sunday, uh, Jamie, the young man that, that was teaching, shared his teaching, and after the service, his mom come running up to him and said, Oh, Jamie, you did a wonderful job teaching, and Chuck Colson was here. And, of course, Jamie was like, 
who? You know, he had no idea who Chuck Colson was. Most of us do. Most of us have heard that name. But I found this quote from Chuck Colson. He says, the real legacy of my life was also my biggest failure in that I was an ex-convict. My greatest humiliation being sent to prison, but it was the beginning of God's greatest use of my life. He chose the one, in, one experience in which I could not glory for his glory. Now this could be said, this is the gospel according to Chuck Colson in that regard. We all go through that. That's the title of the sermon this morning in that the testimony that we share, the, what God has done in our lives, as we share that with others, we could call that the gospel according to Chris, John, Chris, I, wh whoever. If we are sharing our testimony, it is our experience and how the gospel has impacted our life. So we could call that the gospel according to whoever. And that's exactly when we started the book of John. We know that's what it's entitled, right? The gospel according to John. We refer to it by many names. The gospel of John, the book of John. None of that's wrong. I'm not trying to be legalistic here. But what it is, is the gospel account as it's shared by the apostle John, right? Same could be said of us as we, as we share from that. So we have Peter... We see this dialogue that takes place between Peter and Jesus. And we know, as we've studied through the book of John, about Peter, don't we? We know that Peter denied the Lord three times. So the reason I brought up the whole Chuck Colson thing was, here was a guy that had messed up in the past, but the Lord still redeemed his life for good. As we get into the book of Acts, it's just like, man, Peter on fire, right? Peter doing things all the time the Lord using, using him in a great way, as he did Chuck Colson, as he does us, and as we're going to see, he does with Peter as well. So there's this dialogue that takes place uh, between Peter and Jesus. Imagine this scene, if you will. The guys, as we saw, they decided to go fishing, right? They're like, well, Jesus isn't here yet. What are we going to do? Let's go fishing. Makes sense. I mean, for me, it might be, let's go golfing. Or let's go do something, you know. We're just waiting here. We need something to happen. So they fished all night and they didn't catch anything. Some of us can relate to that as well. A voice comes from the shore that says, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Well, they do. And they catch so many fish that they're not able to draw in the net. John sees that the person on the shore, John, the apostle whom Jesus loved, he saw that the person on the shore is Jesus. He says, it's the Lord. Peter's so excited, he jumps out of the boat and swims to shore. Then they all get to shore. They find Jesus has already made a fire, and there's fish and bread on it. Jesus is already cooking breakfast. Jesus says to, to the boys, bring some of the fish you just caught. Peter drags the net of fish up to the shore. We, we looked at that. Big net, all those guys couldn't grab it, but Peter, he grabs a hold of it, drags it to shore. <coughs> Excuse me. And then Jesus says what? Come and eat breakfast. I like that. I like the, the practical ministry that Jesus is doing there. Not only is he telling them how to catch fish, he's already got prepa fish prepared for them. 
there's a neat object lesson for us in that because what does he tell the disciples early on when he calls them? Come follow me and what? I will make you fishers of men. Basically, you're going to catch many men because I'm going to work that through you. But I want you to know they're also going to already be prepared for you, just like I've prepared these. And I don't know, Jesus didn't have enough or just what, but he asked them to grab some of their fish and bring it in. So there's this sharing of breakfast together. So it's in the morning, it's on the beach at the Sea of Galilee. We have Jesus, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James, and John. And the text tells us two other disciples that they're not mentioned by name. They're sitting around eating fish and bread for breakfast. I like that. Don't you? Fish and bread for breakfast. Nothing wrong with that. You can have your post toasties, your oats, your cream of wheat, you know, your donuts, croissants, uh, whatever it is that you want, you can have those things for breakfast, but I like fish. So fish and bread just is just a very natural thing to me to eat anytime. Deep fried. Uh, when we, Chris and I being from Illinois, and we share that not only did we catch, but we ate carp back in the Midwest. And people are like, you're eating trash fish, carp? Let me tell you, till you've had carp rolled in cornmeal, deep fried, so it's just crusty on white bread. I mean white, not healthy bread. White <laughs> bread. Maybe a little mayonnaise on both pieces of bread. That's good fish, and it's good at any time, breakfast or otherwise. I like fish. I like fish. I can relate to these guys. So Jesus has this conversation with Peter. Now, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us whether or not the conversation was where the other disciples could hear it. They're there, but we, we just don't know. We don't know if they could overhear what they were talking about. But what we see in these first three verses uh, 15 through 17 that we read is a repeating scenario which includes three things. There's a question, there's an answer, and there's a directive. And we see that, don't we? This format's repeated in each of the three verses. It appears at first glance that it's the same question, the same answer, and the same directive that is contained in all three of those verses. But First, Jesus asks this unusual question. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? These, these what? These who? What or who is Jesus referring to here? Well, it could be any number of things. It could be three things. Do you love me more than you love these other guys, these disciples? He could be asking that, couldn't he? Or he could be asking, do you love me more than you love these fish? Or your profession, your fishing, your boats, your nets, everything that was in your profession, do you love me more than that? Or it could be, Peter, do you love me more than these other guys love me? It could have been any or any one of these three, or even all three. We don't know for sure. But we do know that Peter had claimed before when he boasted of his love for Christ. John 13, 37, he says, I will lay down my life for your sake. Then that's in front of the other guys. 
you know, so we don't know. Maybe they will, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, we will too. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that too. Matthew 26, 33. Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble, Peter says. That was in the presence of the disciples too. They're like, Peter, throwing us under the bus here. Come on. Well, we, we, we think the same thing, but those are very bold statements that Peter is making, aren't they? So it gives us that indication that at the least, maybe Peter is hinting that he loves Jesus more than the rest of the disciples. Maybe. So what is at the heart of what Jesus is asking there? Peter, do you love me? So it's morning. It's breakfast on the beach. This conversation is going on. Peter, do you love me more than these? Now most of you know if you've been here for any time, the mission statement here at Calvary Berthed is found in Matthew 22, 34 through 40. A lawyer of the Pharisees asked Jesus a question. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So our mission statement here at the church, love God and love others. And I think we would all agree that none of us have that down yet, do we? But we're still a work in progress on that one. We're, there's still things for us to grow in and learn in regards to that, especially our love for God, because our love for God, our love for others is going to be in direct proportion to our love for God. So the focus on loving God the way that we should is something that we're going to always uh, teach and encourage here so that it will help us to love others better. Now, the Greek word used for love in these verses, as we all know, uh, agape, uh, I looked that up because I'm always curious. That's kind of the accepted way that it's pronounced, but I thought, is that really it? In this particular case, the word is actually agapeo. There's an O at the end. I didn't know this, but when they add the O at the end, it becomes a verb. It's an action word to agape. So agapeo is a verb. Agape is a noun. Agapeo, I'm going to mess up the pronunciation, but I'm trying to keep it straight. Agapeo is doing or acting in agape love. So it's love demonstrated by your behavior towards another person. The best guidelines for that, obviously, to do this correctly is found in 1 Corinthians 13. There we have a picture of what God's love is, agape love, and that's what we should be trying to do ourselves, trying to grow in ourselves. But obviously, as it is with a lot of Greek words, it's lost its true meaning in our translation. We just kind of use love all over the place, don't we? I love fish. I love golf. I love my car. I, I love my wife, which, by the way, you probably saw the cake. It's our 35th anniversary today. So I hope you're clapping for her. She's the one that has, has had to put up with me for a long time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk after the service, Dave. <laughs> no, Carol, we'll talk after the service. That's what... <laughs> So agapeo, 
unconditional love, God's love, 1 Corinthians 13 stuff. And then there's phileo, which we've heard before, which is brotherly love, but it's really more the best definition would be like. I like this person or like that person. And then eros, which is more of a sexual uh, part of that. We're not going to get into that this morning. So if agapeo love is real love as defined by God, and phileo love is liking someone but not full-in love like agapeo, what's being used in our text today in this dialogue between Jesus and Peter? Well, it's interesting because both are being used. In verses 15 and 16, it goes like this. Jesus says, Peter, do you agapeo me? And Peter says what? Yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. So Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me? Peter's saying back, yes, Lord, I like you. Now, when you look at that, that's a little disturbing, isn't it? Because we all like to use the word love. I love Jesus. We do. But if our actions don't go along with that, we're not doing agapeo. We're really doing phileo, aren't we? Because our actions should say, I love Jesus, and this is, this is how, this is why. You'll see it in my life, through the fruit in my life. So, yes, Lord, I, I like you, Peter says. But then in verse 17, it changes. Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you phileo me? And Peter was grieved because Jesus asked him a third time, but he responds, Lord, you know all things. You know that I phileo you. You see, if agapeo is the Greek for unconditional God's love and action, Peter knew that he fell short in that, didn't he? His actions in the past would say that, his denial of Jesus three times. Peter also knew that Jesus knew everything. He says that here. He knows everything about Peter and that Peter fell short of agapeo. If you're sitting in the presence of the Lord, it really doesn't do you any good at all to lie to the Lord, does it? Because <laughs> he knows it. He knows where your heart is. He knows everything about you. So you might as well just get it all out there in front of the Lord, wide open in front of him. But you can also see in, in kind of the tense here that Peter in his reaction to this, oh, Lord, it was driving him nuts. It was driving him cray-cray. <laughs> he didn't know what to do with it. So he said to Jesus, he was grieved because Jesus asked him a third time, Lord, you know all things, which was one of the most profound things Peter has ever said, isn't it? Lord, you know all things. Have you ever been in that place where you just feel like you've let the Lord down in something? This phrase is a great phrase to use. Why am I trying to hide this? Why am I stressing over this? Lord, you know all things. You know all things. So you know what I'm thinking right now. You know what I've been thinking in the past. You know what I'm going to be thinking in the future. You know everything about me. You know what's on my heart, what's on my mind. Lord, you, you know all things. So you already know that I'm not loving you like I should. Again, that's a hard one for us to grasp. 
in all honesty to stand before the Lord and just say, Lord, I love you. I agapeo you. That better be evident in our lives, right? Because otherwise, it's phileo. Now, in honesty, I, I know I've been there where I have a great like for the Lord based on what I'm doing, how I'm doing things, what I'm sharing, you know, whatever. And then there's other times when you're just overwhelmed by his love for you and you love him back in agapeo as he impresses upon your heart, do this thing or do that thing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When we do get that, that's agapeo. So it's good for us to understand that. These three verses exhorted Peter, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. That's how he end, ended each one of these questions with these directives. Jesus, it's like he's saying, Peter, I know that you like me. And you know what? It's okay, because I'm going to use you anyway, Peter. In spite of that, in spite of your lack of the love that I really want you to have for me as it's worked out in your life, I'm going to use you anyway. <laughs> and in him using us in that way, as we see that, it should grow us in our love for him, right? So hopefully we move from paleo to agapeo. I'm exhorting you three times, Peter, to love my sheep. How? Love my sheep by feeding and tending my sheep. Shepherd them. My agapeo love in action. Now we're going to see this exhortation come to fruition again in our study in the book of Acts. When we see Peter, man, Peter just goes off. He's bringing it in the book of Acts. Peter's going to be used of the Lord big time. But Jesus continues to share with Peter here. Verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Now, when I first read this, I thought there was kind of a natural break in the middle of verse 18. When you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wish, but when you're old, if you stop there, that's a little disheartening, isn't it? Because I know Chris and I being married 35 years, dated for five years, so Chris has put up with me for 40 years. Pray for Chris. <laughs> but there were things that we used to do that maybe we don't do anymore now that we're older. Uh, hikes for us are not like maybe it is for some of you younger ones. Uh, now, I wouldn't go to the point of saying I'm an old man, okay? I'm older than I was then. But there's just things that I don't do maybe that I used to do when I was younger. So we have Peter here and Jesus telling him, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. He's basically saying, Peter, you basically did whatever you wanted to. You got up in the morning and said, I'm going fishing. And you'd go fishing. 
or hey, I'm going to take a hike up, wherever, do whatever. But he was making choices for himself in that. It says, but when you are old, so this is a time coming up in Peter's life where he's going to reach a certain age. And it says, you'll stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. So you read it, if you left it there, you're like, well, I don't know, what, are they, what are they talking about? Is it is a nursing home thing and people running you around in a wheelchair? Is it something like, what, what, what are they talking about? The next verse tells us what it is. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. Peter, keep in mind that you have gone and done things as you pleased up to this point, but things are changing as I have changed you. What kind of death did Peter die? History tells us that Peter was crucified in the same way that Jesus was, except for one thing. Peter didn't feel worthy to be crucified like Jesus was, so he asked if he could be crucified upside down. History tells us that. So Jesus is sharing with Peter in these two passages that you're going to be experiencing the same type of death that I experienced. You'll stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And when Jesus had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. But Peter, between now and the time that you're going to be crucified, I am exhorting you again, as we see at the end of that verse, follow me. Peter had heard that before, right? Way back when he was first called. Follow me. Peter, keep your focus on me. Peter, keep following me. Follow me, Peter. Do as I instructed in John chapter 15, Peter. Abide in my word. Abide in my love. Abide in my commandments. Peter, follow me. Abide in me. And I will work out agapeo through you. I will use you in that way. So we can all relate to Peter in that. Just like us. Works in progress. After all this intimate time with Jesus. After a time of encouragement. A time of exhortation. What does Peter do? He asks a dumb question. You've heard people say there is no such thing as dumb questions. Oh yeah. There is. Believe me, I know. I've asked some dumb questions in my day. I've actually give, given dumb answers in my day as well. But there are dumb questions. Peter caught up in the moment here, just hearing about his death, his upcoming death. In verse 20, evidently they at this point started to take a walk or walking somewhere because it says Peter turning around saw the, Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved following who had also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So this verse is really nailing down. We're talking about the author, the gospel according to John. This is John. Verse 21, Peter seeing him, seeing John, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? So imagine that scene. Walking along, Jesus just shares with Peter about how he was going to die 
Peter sees John following close behind and says to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Lord, you just told me about how I was going to die. What, what about this guy? What about John? What's he going to go through? And Jesus said to Peter, If I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So twice in just a few verses, what has Jesus told Peter? Follow me. Keep your focus. Keep your eyes upon me, Peter. Verse 23, then this saying went out among the brethren that this disciple would not die. So who started that saying? Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like it was Jesus, it was Peter, and it was John following close behind. So makes sense that this rumor start, was started by who? Peter. Way to go, Peter. Start the rumor. You know what? Jesus said, John over here, this guy, he's not even going to die. It's not what he said at all, was it? Jesus did not say him that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? Basically, Peter, why are you even concerned about that? It's not in your control, it's in my control. I'm the one that's going to decide. I got this, Peter. You follow me. You keep your focus on me, not on John. Keep your focus on me, Peter. The calling that I have on your life, Peter, will be worked out differently than it is in John's life. Not any better or any worse, just different. That's a good lesson for us, isn't it? Our focus shouldn't be on how the Lord works in someone else's life and being envious of that. Well, how come they get to do this or that? How come they get to go there? How come, how come Greg gets to go on the mission trip? Because God told Greg to go on a mission trip, you know? But we know that that happens in, our, in Christian circles, doesn't it? We look at someone else and how the Lord might be using them in some particular way, and we become envious of that. Oh, why don't I get to do that? Why don't I get to sing on the worship team? Maybe you can't sing. I don't, you know, that could be part of it. You can make a joyful noise where you're sitting, can't you? How come I don't get to, to hand out bulletins at the front door? I'll let you. <laughs> let me know. You want to hand out bullets in this front door? Yeah, you can do that. No problem. But we get caught up in that sometimes, that we start looking at what God's doing in someone else's life. We get envious of that. When we should be doing what? Rejoicing in how God is using them and how God is using us. Because this, in that particular moment that we're feeling envious, the Lord would say to us what? The same thing he said to Peter. You... Follow me. Keep your eyes on me. Be focused on me. Ephesians 2.10 says, and this is for every one of us as Christians, for we are, we, all of us, are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Every one of us here 
every Christian in the world, God has set something in motion beforehand that he is going to have them do in their life. And that's unique and special for each and every one of us. So keeping our focus on Jesus, following him, the workmanship that he's got for us, we should be doing that. You know, you say, well, Pastor Jim, I don't know what that is. I, I don't either, necessarily. But I think probably the person to ask might be the Lord. You know, I'm just throwing that out there as a possibility. Since he's the one that initiated the whole thing, he's the one that knows. Pray about it, Lord, what would you have me do for you? How would you have me serve? And I believe the Lord will impress that upon your heart. It may take time. He may have you do this thing or that thing for a while. And then he will have that thing for you to do for that season that he wants you to do. But you're never going to see it unless your focus is upon him, if you're following him. I think we can all relate to what Paul has to say in 1 Corinthians as well. Chapter 1, verse 27 through 29. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Okay, do I have to go any farther? Does anybody relate to just that part? God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. Oh, yeah. I like that. I like the sound of that, don't you? Take this fool and put to shame those wise folks out there. God has chosen the weak things of the world. Yeah, we can relate to that too. To put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. So God in his sovereignty, has chosen to use the foolish things, the weak things, the despised things, the things that are not. God has chosen to use us for his glory. You can plug your name in any number of places in that verse. That's us. He's chosen to use us. It shouldn't surprise us as we look at the life of the disciples, Peter in particular this morning, what a hodgepodge of guys to, to use as disciples, right? It just really didn't make any sense. Gosh, there were so many guys at that time that were Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, that would seem like obvious choices. I'm sure they thought that too at the time. Well, I don't know why they chose them. Why didn't they choose me? I'm dressed the part, you know. I do all the things that I'm supposed to by the law or at least the people think I do anyway. But he chose these fishermen, these bunch of misfits, you know, really. And as I look around the room this morning, and I'm looking at myself as well, okay. We're all misfits, aren't we? We're, we're, it just doesn't make sense. But in Christ, it is amazing, that relationship. It's amazing what he does with us in relationship with him. He takes us foolish things to put to shame the wise. He takes weak things to put to shame the things which are mighty. He uses us in ways that are incomprehensible. I mean, it's just huge in the way that he uses us. How many of you have been in a situation at some time, 
<clears throat> someone has a question, they're going through a hard time, and you're able to either encourage them, counsel them, pray for them in a manner that you didn't even think was possible for you. And I, <clears throat> I don't really like this phrase, but you know, God showed up. You, know, you hear people say, the reason I don't like that is God wasn't gone. You know, he's <laughs> not like he was, oh, oh, I didn't see that, you know, and he goes over there. <laughs> God was always there. Oh, man, I missed that one. Run it back. We'll do it again. Whatever. No, God is there. It's, we are allowing, by putting our focus upon him, following him, we are actually allowing God to work in that situation, aren't we? When, when we cry out to him, go, Lord, I got nothing. You ever done, done that under your breath? Somebody's sharing with you, and you're going, Probably a lot of you think, oh, that never happens to a pastor. No, it happens all the time to a pastor. <laughs> I got nothing, Lord. You're going to have to do something here because otherwise I'm going to look foolish. Oh, yeah, but he chose the foolish things of the world. <laughs> this is a good thing. I'm foolish. Use this fool, Lord. And he says, okay, I have been for quite some time. So he's chosen to use the foolish things, the weak things, the despised things, he chose to use the men and women that we have looked at through our study of the book of John. We're going to see how powerful he uses men and women as we study through the book of Acts. Amazing things happen. You know why I'm looking forward to the book of Acts? This is a, I'm just going to call it a rabbit trail, okay? Notes aside, I'm so looking forward to the book of Acts because that early church and what's going on in that early church, we sometimes separate that from where we are, don't we? We just think, man, that was a phenomenal thing the Lord was doing. Wouldn't it be great to have lived back in that time? No. <laughs> well, yes, but no, he's got us where he has us, and he wants to use us in the same way. I think we forget that sometimes, that all the things that took place in the early church, those things are still valid today, aren't they? He can still do that kind of work in, in us fools and us weak ones. He can still do that. He did it through them. He can do it through us because it's the same Holy Spirit that they had that we have, right? So why would we think differently? Why would we think that he couldn't do that? He can. So we have in his word their testimony, these, these men, the mighty miraculous works that he has done and continues to do through those who follow him, follow him. Verse 24, this is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. You remember what John wrote at the end of chapter 20? We talked about it at that time thinking that could have been the end of the book, couldn't it? That you should, I mean, it would have been seemed very natural just to end the book there, but he gave us another uh, chapter. But at the end of chapter 20, starting at verse 30, the last two verses, and truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So the purpose of John writing the book, we've talked about this before, that you may believe. I know that because... That's what he says right here. These are written that you may believe. It's the reason he wrote his book. That's the purpose. The gospel according to John. 
Verse 25, and there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Think about this this morning. What if you or I were to write a book, each of us, one by one, regarding all of what Jesus has done in our lives? The Gospel according to Mark, the Gospel according to Glenn. Just entitle it that, and you're capturing on paper, writing in a book, all the things that the Lord has done in your life. You could have your own book, couldn't you? It would be fairly easy for us to do that as we summarize all the things that God has done in our lives. You know, that's what journaling is about. How many of you in here journal? Well, I applaud you. (laughs) I just don't do it very well. You know, I try to... Well, I can just tuck it away in here. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I I saw how that worked last week with our anniversary. (laughs) Okay, I'll share the story. Should I share the story? I might as well. Pastor's supposed to be transparent and all that, right? (laughs) Chris and I got married in 1980 on Memorial Day weekend. So for me, in my mind, there's that connection, right? Anniversary, Memorial Day. At least that's where I was was this year. So last Monday morning, I'm still sick, obviously. Chris is powering through it. She's already worked four days. I'm still sick because I had a man cold. And we all know, guys, right? (laughs) A man cold is much worse than anything We know that. Can I get an amen, guys? Yeah, it it is. It's a lot worse. Ladies, you have no idea what we're dealing with. (laughs) So I get up that morning. Chris has already left for work. I wake up, and it's like a, oh, no. It's our anniversary. I got nothing. I have forgotten our 35th anniversary. Felt so bad. Send off a quick text. Good morning. Love you. <laughs> Happy anniversary. She doesn't always get the text right away because she's working. But got the text out and I thought, I, that's not good. I, I got to do more than that. I don't know how many flower shops I called until I found one that was open. Found a flower shop that was open. Edible arrangements wasn't open. That, that was my, like, oh, that'll, that'll be phenomenal, you know. Order the flowers, deliver them, so they'll be delivered within the hour. I'm like, yes. All this time, never dawning on me, maybe you should look at a calendar, you know. I didn't, obviously. So an hour or a half later, whatever, I get a text from Chris. Love you too. Thanks for the flowers but it's not our anniversary. <laughs> My first thought was, oh. looked at the calendar and was like, oh. yes, it's the 31st, not the 25th. You are right. No, I got to come clean. Initially, I didn't say you were right. I said, oh, yeah, I'm doing things different this year. 
Then I, she knew I was lying. She's been married to me for 35 years, you know. But I thought, well, if I put that in there, at least it might, for all the ladies that work at the store with her, that now know that I'm an imbecile, you know. <laughs> so anyway, I came clean and told her, yes, I forgot, which she already knew anyway. So I'm not sure why I went there. <laughs> I'm looking at my notes and I, I'm going, well, I guess that would have been maybe one of the moments that I put in my book, okay? <laughs> scrambling here to tie this together somehow. <laughs> I just had something to confess, okay? <laughs> but as we summarize in writing form what God has done in our lives, we would see that we have a lot to share in that. Just start from the beginning when you came to the Lord. Good place to start. Yeah, you can throw in some color there from when you weren't with the Lord, but focus on the Lord. That's your testimony. That's the gospel according to whoever, right? You're capturing what Jesus has done in your life. You're capturing the things that you've seen him do, that you've experienced firsthand in your own life. Glenn's teaching through 1 John. I love that first four verses of 1 John, where John, same author here, is, is communicating, wow, we handled, we touched, we felt. He did. He was an actual eyewitness, so he got a lot of firsthand stuff there that we don't get, but we know daily, weekly, hourly, God working in our life, what we have experienced through him working in us and through us. The gospel according to our lives have been impacted for eternity by the one, the Lord Jesus Christ, by our following him. Personal, personal testimonies of his work in our lives, his love, his grace, his mercy in our lives. John says the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. We know that to be true. If every one of us, if every Christian in the world were to write that book, the gospel according to, it would be difficult to contain all the things that he had done in each and every one of our lives. Amen?